All right, take your Bibles, make your way to Mark 4. We're going to finally finish the fourth. Mark 4 is pretty long, it's 41 verses, and a lot has happened. And, and I'll just bring you back to memory. He starts with the parable of the sower, if you'll recall, and the, the four different types of soil, the hard-packed soil, the uh, rocky soil, has a little bit of dirt, but mostly rocks underneath, no root system, and it shoots right up when the sun comes out, it, it, it withers and dies. Then the weedy soil that has thorns and weeds in it, and they both grow up together, but the weeds, which Jesus says later, the cares and the worries of this world. How many of you know the world, your world is full of enough worries to, <laughs> to, to choke out the gospel in you, right? Um, but then it's, there's good ground. And I, my, my prayer, and our prayer, I'm assuming as followers of Christ, is that we are good ground uh, hearers of the word this morning. And then Jesus goes into a, another parable about the light, and the seed and the light are the same in here. The seed is Jesus, the kingdom gospel, repent, believe, and follow Jesus. Um, the light, same thing. And, and he said, hey, you don't hide the light, and you can't even hide the light. The light's going to shine. That's what light does and overcomes darkness. Then he goes back to the seed motif. And he said, you know, this, this, the, the growth of the seed is, is, is pretty mysterious. And even a professional farmer doesn't really know what's going on in the dark, in the dirt. We just don't really know. But something's going on. So you know what he does? He gets up in the morning. You know, and he makes sure it's water, and then he just goes back to bed. And he does that over and over, and all of a sudden, something pops out of that ground. And he just keeps watering, and it just keeps growing. It's a mystery, but here's, here's Jesus' point in that little parable of the kingdom. The, the word of God works. The seed, the problem's not in the seed, and the seed always grows. Sometimes it grows painfully slow. What's the old saying? A watch pot never boils, right? Um, and it's true. But there's, there's a miraculous growth in the, in the growing of a seed. And then he switches. He says, here's what the kingdom's like. It starts micro and it ends up mighty. And he shows us a teeny tiny mustard seed. So small you can barely see it in the crack between your fingers. As you put that thing in the ground and over the years it turns into a, 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 a tree that's big enough that birds can make their nests in. He said, that's the kingdom. So everybody take a deep breath. The gospel works. The kingdom works. God works. And people with good soil. So it's, and and, it, and it's, always, it's always been that way. And it's always going to be that way. And there's some comfort in that, right? Because don't we know? We can get twisted up. You know, you look at your kids. They can make you crazy. Because you, you want your kids to know Jesus, don't you? You want them to walk with Christ, be salty. And man, you get parenting out of fear. Even as they get older, what are you doing? Right? You want to clamp it up. I've done, I've done all this stuff. You should be a salty Christian. The seed grows at different, different levels. My job is to love Jesus in front of you, grow you up in the faith. And it's God's job to make that seed germinate in you and God to do the work. So there's a great message for us in there. And then he ends up telling us that Jesus kept giving them parables. So Jesus, and he does that so that those who couldn't hear wouldn't hear. Those who wouldn't believe couldn't hear. And those that did believe, those good soil people would get it, embrace it, and trust him. So, so think about this. All of these parables, 
all of these parables really come back to one big idea, if you think about it, and that's the one big idea that gets lost, because I think we teach these parables wrong. Remember, they were meant to be heard, not read and dissected. And if you just, if you hear them, I was talking with Jay this morning, how that he listened to the Jude's epistle on the way to church this morning. And I have found over the years, because I like to listen to the Bible, that's kind of my habit in the morning as I'm getting ready, um, combing my three hairs in the bathroom, <laughs> and I laugh it up. <laughs> I have my phone on, and I have it on my daily Bible, and we're in Acts right now. And it's, hearing the word is different than reading it. I get a, you know what I get when I hear it? I get, I get themes and overviews. Where when I read it, I'm, I can't help it. I'm, I'm digging down into it like the microscope. This is the satellite, right? And I'm hearing themes. And when you hear these parables, you know what theme jumps out at you or the purpose that jumps out of you? The seed works, man. It just, it does its thing. It's a little bit mysterious, but you get that in some good ground, it's going to grow. Even seed that's been locked up in a pyramid for 3,000 years will grow in the right conditions. It just works. And it's kind of like God saying this. You ready? Trust me. I got this. My part of this thing is good. All you got to do is work on your part of this thing. And that's your heart. What's the soil like? Keep that in mind. Because these disciples have heard these kingdom parables, these comparisons to the kingdom all day long, um, and big crowds. And what do you, what do you think Jesus is? I mean, he's, he's truly man. What's he feeling at the end of a long day of ministry? He's like, yeah, he, he is wiped. Matter of fact, I'm going to show you how wiped out he is in a second. Let's look at verse 35 of, of, of Mark 4. And on the same day, so this is, this is what I'm saying. He's just finished up a legitimate long day. On the same day, when evening had come, he said to them, if you've got your own Bibles, I just want you to underline this phrase. If you've got a red letter Bible, it should all be in red. It should at a minimum be in quotations. Here's what he said to them. Let us cross over to the other side. Other side of what? The lake or the Sea of Galilee. It was a pretty good sized lake. That's what he's saying. So remember that. Been a long day of ministry. Um, remember, he has been in this boat preaching because of the crowd. Um, it serves a natural amphitheater. What was Peter's job? So whose boat was this probably? Probably Peter's boat, right? So all this kind of makes sense. And this is all based on an eyewitness account. Now Mark um, got this information from Peter himself. It's all happening in the evening after Jesus has worked all day long in, in the kingdom ministry. He uses Peter's boat. Now this is weird. Look at verse 36. Now when they had left the multitude, so he leaves them there on the hillside, they took him along in the boat, same boat, as he was. And I never noticed this before, but look at this little phrase. And other little boats were also with him. <laughs> so you know what happened, don't you? As Jesus is out there teaching on this boat, the people weren't content to just sit on the shore. What are they doing, Dale? They're getting in their kayaks, right, and their little, their little John boats, and they're coming out to get a little closer. They just want to be a little closer, and they want to hear, hear him. Right? And so as he heads out in Peter's, now that's a fishing vessel, so it's a little bigger. As he heads out in Peter's fishing vessel, Mark just makes the note, there's a bunch of little boats there too with them. I find that interesting. 
Now look at this verse. This, this is the one I'm saying, if you, if you don't think Jesus was tired. 37. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, um, so that, uh, lost my place, the waves beat into the boat so that it was already filling. So you know what's happening? You see waves break. When the wind gets up pretty good, you know, the waves will get high and they'll break. Well, they were high enough that they were breaking into the boat. So the waves were literally filling up the boat. And the boat was just up, and these guys were, at least four of them, were seasoned fishermen. They grew up on that fishing boat, probably from Henry's age on up. I mean, they worked with their daddy on that boat. They, these guys are the guys you want to have with you in a storm. You think that this is the first time they've been in a storm? Nope. They knew that lake backwards and forwards. Um, and so they're in this storm. The boat's filling up. I'm imagining it's not, I imagine it's a pretty, boat's going up and down. Um, and then the Bible says this in verse 38. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, that's the back of the boat, asleep on a pillow. How can you sleep through a storm? Like, like I'm just saying physically, how do you sleep through a storm where it's raining, number one. Now, he's in the stern of this boat, so he might have been under some cover. And we do know he was on a pillow, and that's what that was in there for. Uh, these, the, the fishermen fished all night, so they would set their nets out and then go come back around and make a circle. And to give it time, they would just rest. So there was resting places in these, in these vessels. But the ship had to be going up and down and all over and thunder, lightning, and Jesus is so exhausted. Physically, he's so tired that he's just out. Um, it's an amazing thought there, really. Here's the problem that we're going to see in here. This whole text is an identity text. And I want you to not forget that. I'm only going to deal with three questions. And it's only three questions asked. And it makes a perfect outline. But in this text, it's the disciples are going to learn who Jesus really is. Now, what had they seen Jesus do up to this point? <clears throat> they had seen him fix a paralyzed hand, take a lame guy that hadn't walked since birth and made him walk, um, blinded eyes, cleansed the lepers, um, um, cast out demons all over the place. They had seen feeding of the 5,000. I mean, they'd seen some stuff, right? But this one is different. And we're going to learn that today. So let's let's look at let's continue in the text, and we'll see the first question here. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, and it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, "Teacher, do you not care that we're perishing?" That word for teacher is rabbi. They said, "Rabbi, don't you even you realize we're we're going down, right? We're we're all dying, and you're in here sleeping." Um. So that's the first question. Jesus, don't you care? Question number one. Don't you care that we're all about to die, you included? Now remember, you got to go back to verse 35. What did Jesus say? Let us cross over to the other side. And that was the word of God. And listen to me. Listen to me this morning. If God says you're going over, guess where you're going? You're going over the other side. And it doesn't matter what's between this side and that side. If God says that you're going and you're going to make it. 
even though every fiber of your being says, we are going under. Amen? You ever been in one of those situations in your life? And unfortunately, this, this parable gets, gets taught in such a way that it steals the real message. The real message is not your storm. That's a side application. The real message is he's the Lord of all creation. <laughs> Amen? He is the God who made everything and commands all things. So here they are out there. Don't you even care? Now what you got to understand is the Sea of Galilee sits, just imagine this for a minute, 700 feet below sea levels. It's pretty, it's, it's pretty far south. It's deep. And it's in a basin and it's surrounded by hills and mountains on either side. And to the northeast where, where they were uh, is a mountain called Mount Hermon. And Mount Hermon rises to 9,200 feet above sea level. That, that's significant, isn't it? And here's what would happen. This topography sometimes lends to a violent interchange of warm and cold air. Warm air going up from this valley, this hot valley, and cold air coming down from nearly 10,000 feet. Can you see a problem? When those two things mix, um, you can get some massive hurricane force type storms. And they were a problem, especially if you were in a small boat. So the question that they came up with here is, Jesus, don't you even care that we're, we're all about to die? Because here's what happens, I think, when we get in those situations, is we, we tend to forget what God has promised. Or we tend to forget what God has said. He said, we're going to the other side. And they knew that that's where they were headed, but now they were very much in doubt of the reality of making it to the other side. They weren't just in doubt of making it to the other side. They were in doubt of the goodness of Jesus. Don't you even care if we're, we're all going down? Does he care? Of course he cares. Matter of fact, the same guy who I'm thinking probably is the guy to ask him that. Who's the spokesperson for the disciples? Who's the guy that's always talking? Peter, right? And it's probably him. The same guy, Peter, writes this. You can jot this down in your outline, 1 Peter 5, 7. Um, Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. I think that'll be there on the screen. Casting all your care upon him because he cares for you. He and Peter says that. Maybe he learned that in the, in, on the Sea of Galilee that night. And, and it really came to, to hit home for him. So that's the first question. Don't you, do you even care? And can you be honest with yourself? Can you think of a time in your life where you thought that? I, I can. I can. There's a lot of stuff I don't understand. That news I got this morning, I don't get that. I don't get it. I've had three... Friends of mine, younger than me, all men recently, die. I don't get that. Makes no sense. No sense whatsoever. I, I don't understand it. But here's what I know. I know he cares. That's why I can pray for their families. Because I know that God cares about them. And, 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 the, and the sorrow and the uncertainty that we're feeling, God, God gets it. And he said, we're going somewhere, and we are going. We're going to get there. And I can cast all my cares on, on him because he really does care for me. 
The second question is not a disciple question. They're not the askers. Jesus is. So look what happens. Let's go back to our text in verse 39. They wake him up and say, you don't even care. Don't you even care what's going on here? So Jesus gets up. And remember, he's, he's got to be so tired. He gets up, he discerns what's going on around him pretty quickly. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. Now, you've got to take the Bible glasses off for a minute. Or this, we don't appreciate this. They're in, a, they're in a storm that's creating waves high enough to get over probably a six-foot hull. We're talking six and a half, seven-foot waves, which means there's a, there's a pretty strong wind because that's the only thing that's going to kick those waves up is wind. It's a bad storm. Jesus wakes up, and, you know, storms are loud. And in the midst of that storm, he speaks. And he says two things. First of all, the Bible says he rebukes the wind. That's interesting because I looked that word up and it's the same word that he uses earlier in Mark when he says he rebuked the unclean spirits. It is a command that says stop doing what you're doing. And he stands up and he, say, he, re, he says to the wind, knock it off. No more. But he doesn't stop there. I think this is a part I don't see because I, I got Sunday school glasses on. But then the Bible says this, and this is the part that Peter tells Mark, and he writes down through the Holy Spirit. And then he says to the sea, because think about it, that wind could stop right away. What's that sea doing? Th those waves are still getting it, aren't they? And it's gonna, it takes a while for a storm to be over before the, sea, the, the waters calm down. Then he says to the sea, peace, and that's that, that's that beautiful uh, word shalom. He says, peace, be still. And what it appears happens here, and we get this from the reaction of the disciples, is that two things happen. Number one, the wind quit, and, and it's a miracle, but those high waves immediately stopped. And there was a calm on the sea. Now, those guys had done a lot of life in that boat, at least four of them anyway. They knew that lake, that, had, that doesn't happen. That does not happen. And now notice Jesus' question to them. So, so he just does this thing. He rebukes the wind and he tells the sea to be calm. And, and both those things happen immediately. And then he turns to them and look at his words in verse 40. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Isn't that something? How is it that you have how much faith, church? None. It's not that you got a little faith. It's that you don't have any. Okay, you just turn that down if, it's, if the battery's gone then. Uh, he said, hey, it's just, here's the deal. How is it that you got no faith? Faith in what? 
You got to go back to that verse 35. Let us cross over to the other side. How is it you didn't believe my word? You didn't believe the direction, the command I gave you. How is it you have no faith? Why is Jesus incredulous? Why are you so afraid? Why are you filled with fear? Why is Jesus incredulous here? And again, this is where contextual teaching of God's word is so vital and it's so rare today, unfortunately. What has he just done all day? He has told these guys through story after story after story, I got this, trust me. God's got this thing. The, the, the word works. Trust my word. What's the last word he said to them before he hit the pillow and fell asleep? We're going over to the other side. How is it after all this work with you today and telling you all these kingdom parables, you still don't get it? And how does he know they don't get it? Because they're petrified. And don't judge them. You and I would have woke Jesus up far earlier than they did. <laughs> I mean, as soon as the first drop of water got in that boat, I'm waking them up. <laughs> right? So don't, don't go judging them. We're the same way. But it's interesting, his question is this. Two things he connects. Notice this connection. Don't miss it. Why are you so fearful? Right? And how is it you have no faith? So kind of what is he, what is he saying there? If you're fearful... If you, are, if you are saturated by fear, that is a telltale sign that you have no faith. But if you are saturated by faith, that means you have no what? Fear. How many times are we told fear not? You know, one of the most beautiful uh, verses and I, 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 I hate chapter breaks but I wish, I wish verse 1 of chapter 5 was in verse 4 it said then they came to the other side of the sea <laughs> that's something they got there they made it and he told them they were going to do that in verse 35 of chapter 4 <laughs> listen to me today some of us might be living in verse 35, but I'm, I guarantee you, chapter 5, verse 1 is on the way. Amen? We've got to have faith. Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Uh, Courtney, you're, you're the one that got this stuck in my head with that song that we sang. Um, do not be anxious for what? Anything. I think that's on the screen too there. Don't be, it might not be. Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer, talking to God, supplication, telling Him what's going on. Notice this, with what? Thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord, through King Jesus our Master. Right? Don't worry be thankful. I just came across this the other day. It was a, uh, a brain biologist was speaking, a neurologist. And they discovered something. That, that fear comes from that amygdala part of your brain. It's that fight or flight, right? And that's where good fear and anxiety comes from. It produces, and that's, God made that so that if you're in a situation, you know, you see a, you see a snarling dog coming at you. You know, you either get ready to defend yourself or you get out of dodge if you can make it out, right? It's, got, it's a God thing. 
However, the part of your brain, there's another part of your brain that is responsible for thankfulness. And it's not in that amygdala. It's in, it's in a whole other part of your brain. And you know what they just discovered? That thankfulness part of your brain and that anxiety part of your brain are connected. And it's like they have a switch. And, and when you are anxious, you are not thankful. They cannot operate. You can't be a little bit anxious and a little bit thankful. This is the human brain. They just have found this out. What they found out is you're either anxious and not thankful or thankful and not anxious. How do I get out of anxiety? It's, it's, just, it's just what Galatians, uh, Philippians 4, 6 says. Cast, uh, or, uh, it says, start it for me. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with what? Thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Why? When we choose to be thankful, it shuts off anxiety in your physical brain. Isn't that something? There's science catching up with Scripture written in the first century. It's thankfulness. we got to thank God for the answer even before the answer shows up. And I'm telling you what, how many of you have experienced that peace of God that puts a garrison around you of shields and it guards your emotions, your heart, and your mind, your thinking through Christ Jesus your Lord? You know what that is? God shuts off the anxiety part when you turn on the thanksgiving part. Isn't that amazing? It's exciting to be a Christian today. And then I love this, Philippians as well, Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work will complete it in you. Right? God finishes what he starts. And I love the reality of that. This is sort of funny, not funny. Look at the first, first, first part of verse 41. He says, how is it you have no faith? Why are you so afraid? And they feared exceedingly. <laughs> they only, this is crazy. The, <laughs> these guys cannot get off the fear train, right? First they were scared of dying. Now they're scared of living with the guy in the boat because they have no idea who he is, right? You get it? It's, it's, if it wasn't so sad, it would be funny. Then they feared exceedingly. They only thought they were scared in a hurricane. <laughs> and when Jesus comes along and shuts it all down, now they're really scared. <laughs> and that's the last question. It's a disciple question. And they feared exceedingly. And notice, they're not asking Jesus this one. They're asking each other. They said to one another, who can this be? That even the wind and the sea obey him. You know what they're saying? Who is this guy? Now, now wait a minute. Have y'all been with us through Mark so far? What had they seen him do? That's why I call this an identity event. It's an identity text. It's not about the disciples. It's not about your storm directly. It's about Jesus revealing who he is by his authority over nature. His complete control over this entire planet. You know what they were saying when they were asking each other, who, who is this guy? Who's in this boat with us? They had seen him do a lot of stuff. 
But now, they saw power over sickness. They saw power over dark demonic entities. They were impressed. But now they're seeing power over creation itself. And, and this, this event freaked them out more. This event freaked them out more than when Jesus raised people from the dead, which he did three times that we know of. They didn't even get as blown away by the raising from the dead of, of these people as they did Jesus calming the wind and the waves that day. That's how powerful that event was. And it would never go away from them. It would be burned in their memory forever. That miracle shocked them because they realized as good Jews, this was an act that only God can perform. This is an act of God alone. And we're going to look at here Psalm 107, verses 23 to 32. Psalm 107, we'll run through it, verses 23 to 32. Now remember, this is a psalm. This is written way before this event, right? This is Old Testament. He says, those who go down to the sea in ships who do business on great waters. That's Peter, James, John, Andrew. They see the works of the Lord and his wonders in a deep. So these sailors get to witness firsthand what God can do and what only God can do. For he commands and raises the stormy wind which lifts up the waves of the sea. Now, I, I promise you this, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, Sailors, as good Jewish men, their daddies taught them this past. They had this memorized. And I'd be willing to bet you that they were, past, they were quoting these, this passage right here to each other. Hey, God's the one who makes the storm. That's what that's saying. He's the one who, who tells the wind to kick up. For he commands and raises a stormy wind, which lifts up the waves of the sea. God's responsible for that. Look at this. They mount up to the heavens. They go down to the depths. Their soul melts because of trouble. He said, God makes some big storms. They reel to and fro and stagger like a drunken man. Tell me if this is not describing this, and they are at their wit's end. Is this not Mark 4? They're at their wit's end. And I'm sure these guys are quoting this after the, after the sea is calm. All right, let's look at the next verse. Then they cry out to the Lord in their trouble, did they do that with Jesus? Yep, they woke him up. And he brings them out of their distresses. How does he do that? Look at this. This is not new. He calls the storm so that its waves are what, church? Still, you can't make this up. Next verse. Then, then they are glad because they are quiet. So he guides them to their desired haven. Let us cross over to the other side, their desired haven. Oh, that men would give, what's that word? Thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. Let them exalt him also in the assembly of the people and praise him in the company of the elders. I want you to picture this. These sailors come back in David's day and say, boy, we just about bought it out there. But God not only sent the storm, he sent the answer and calmed the storm. And we've come back to praise his name and to give thanks because you can't be scared when you're thankful and you can't be thankful when you're scared. 
You would think Jesus had this very thing in mind in the middle of the Sea of Galilee that day. It makes you wonder, doesn't it? And I just want to make one more side comment, and we don't know. It's like a Paul Harvey thing. Maybe we'll find out. Mark's the only one that tells us that there were other little ships with him. What happened to them? If this fishing vessel was going down, what happened to those little ships? And if we're not careful, our fear in the midst of our own storms will cause us to be selfish and not look out for other people. Right? But here, this is a pattern of God. This is what God does. And they realize only God can command wind and waves. That's, a, that's, that's something reserved for God alone. Therefore, that's why they ask each other, who is this man? And I believe they were asking them each other that question as a rhetorical question. Y'all realize who he is? He's not just Messiah. There's more to Messiah than we thought. He does the work that only God can do. Does anybody remember Psalm 107? Wow. The disciples, just like the people in Psalm 107, had seen the deeds of Jehovah. They had cried to the Lord in their trouble, and they need to thank the Lord for his steadfast love and his covenant commitment to his people. And just as the people of Psalm 107 and the disciples of Mark 4, they need to extol and praise the Lord, and we should do the same. Because he does care for us. He is trustworthy. And he is the glorious creator God who will one day calm every storm and make all things new. So in context, he spent the whole day telling them, y'all can trust God. God works. He's got this. We're going over the other side. Trust me. And then we see this event. How is it you have no trust, no faith, but a lot of fear? Someone once wisely said, fear knocked at the door, faith answered, and there was nobody there. And I want to encourage you today, even as we sing here in a second, search your heart. Let the Holy Spirit search your heart today. And where you find some fears, and I got some, how about, how about we, we go to faith, we go to thanksgiving? How about we start thanking God for his faithfulness? And you're going to find out something. Put that brain thing to the test. You can't be anxious and thankful at the same time. Thankful your way out of fear. And trust him because we're going to the other side. Would you stand with me and pray? Our musicians will come. And I just, I just want us to take a moment before we sing. And, and everyone's standing and praying. And, and just, just, how about we do David's prayer in Psalm 139, verse 24. Search me, O God. Know my heart. Point out anything in me that offends you. Any anxious thought. How about we let the Lord, we ask God to do that. And then we begin to thank him in the face of that fear. Father, we come to you today thanking you that when you say we're going to the other side, the other side it is. And, and that, that does not mean that there aren't some heartbreaks from one shore to the other. I pray for our friends this morning that are in the middle of that. And I pray that in the middle of that storm that you would be their peace. 
um, as, as, they, as they encounter you in the middle of their sorrow today. And I pray that wherever we are, whatever, whatever the anxiety is, whatever the, the fear is that is threatening to, 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 to drown us in our faith, that Lord, we, you would show it to us right now as we're praying. And that as you do, we begin to praise you. We begin to thank you as we recall instances of faithfulness in our lives where we have we have gotten to where we were going and never thought we'd make it. Help us to recount and be thankful even in the midst of that which was caused, could cause us to panic. And help us to just believe you. When you say you got it, you got it. Help us to trust that. I pray that you do that sweet work in our heart. That if you can sleep through the storm, so can we. I pray this for the glory of King Jesus in his name. Amen.